All right, Dane, you know, the podcast, we, we haven't been doing it in a while. We've been asleep. I think it's about time for us to wake up. Whoa! <laughs> this episode oh. of Creepy Peepers, we are reviewing 1988, John Carpenter's They Live, with special guest, Rev Horror. Say hello, Rev. Then we'll get it going. Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks so much for having me. Good to have you yeah. on. Uh, before we start, actually, why don't you let us know uh, where where can people find you? Where what is your affiliation with horror media? Yeah, um, so I, I run a website, thehorrorrevolution.com. Um, we do a lot of reviews, interviews, all that kind of stuff, and and I get sent a lot of movies from Screenbox and Shutter and all those places a few weeks before they come out. So if you're looking for like new stuff, stuff to find out what you need to watch, indie stuff, everything, uh, check out the website. We've got a little bit of everything and hopefully some big stuff coming soon. Sounds nice. great. And that's thehorrorrevolution.com. E-V-O-L-U-T-I-O-N dot com. That's exactly <laughs> right. And it's uh, at Rev Horror on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, for all you blind people out there. Yeah. Well, I want to let them know because I know that sometimes when they do like a, when, when a word, when they do like, especially in like URLs, when they cut off at like an R, sometimes they'll share the R with the next word if it starts with an R. Uh, yes. I and, you know, in retrospect, uh, I love the name so much, and I've had it for several years now, but I actually just got quoted on the um, the new Robert England documentary coming out by the guys that made it, and uh, they put the horror evolution, and I was like, God damn it. Yep. I, 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 <laughs> I was going to say, I knew that'd make that. That's happened more than once. John Carpenter's They Live. Uh, Reb, why don't you give us a summary? Yeah, so basically it's about this uh, guy. He's kind of an itinerant worker, a guy that uh, travels around looking for work in a society that has rising unemployment and rampant uh, money being funneled to the rich. And he's just trying to find a way to get by. Uh, He's new in town and he meets up with some guys that get him on a construction crew. Um, Along the way, he kind of kind of starts living in a almost like a homeless camp in the middle of the city with a bunch of the people that are working with him and a bunch of other people and ends up finding this this church that is the uh cover for a group of people who actually can see the real enemies through this magic pair of sunglasses that they've developed probably not actually magic, but these sunglasses that they've developed that allow them to see that the world is actually being taken over by aliens who are the actual powers behind all of the corruption in society. And of course he's got to fight back because he's Rowdy Rowdy Piper. (laughs) Oh yeah. I was going to say, I I also, another thing that I found out after I had watched the movie, I didn't know that Rowdy, I was wondering where I'd heard the, I'd heard the name before he was a wrestler. Man, I think I'm older than you guys. I fucking love Rowdy Roddy Piper. Absolutely. It's, it's like my childhood. Rowdy Roddy Piper and Hulk Hogan and all those guys. Yeah, because I, I had I, I'd seen a few like WWE clips, I think, with him. But I just like buried it in my mind. I was like, oh, no, I don't know who this guy is. So when I watched, I'm like, you know, why does that sound so familiar? Ah, it's probably nothing. But yeah, no, there's, there's a bunch of stuff. Even when I was looking at uh, some of the IMDb trivia things in here. There are direct things that he took from this movie, from his time in this movie, and vice versa, that he had used later on in the ring. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, he, he was a showman type guy, for sure. Definitely. That's great. And, uh, oh, I, I, I lost my point. I think I skipped ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I thought we started delving into the movie already. We did. No, feel free. Jump in. Oh, I, I was going to say that I, I 
for whatever reason, the opening title card of They Live, of how it appears just as its text and then fades into the uh, graffiti on the wall. Oh, yeah. I thought I was like, wow. For, for whatever reason, that blew me away. And I instantly knew. I was like, okay, this, I'm in for something here, you know? Definitely, yeah. It's that carpenter eye for detail that, that shows you that the guy making the movie really knows what he's doing. I read somewhere that costs like like a tenth of the whole production budget, just that opening title sequence. Wait, really? Is that one effect? Yeah, something about how, like, because I think it was because they had to actually, like, rent the train and the train yard and all that stuff, and it wasn't something uh... that, like, they could just, like, I mean, obviously, you know, this is the 80s, so you can't, like, put it in in post the same way you could now. You could just film a train and overlay everything, but it doesn't really work that way back in the day. Well, I will say uh, just one thing that I another thing that I learned just from the opening credits, too, because they say at the beginning, but that I dove into a little more after I'd watched was the source material for the movie, the short story eight o'clock in the morning by author Ray Nelson. It's basically the it's like it's a shortened version of this movie, but rather than it being sort of revealed a bit later on that everyone's like got some sort of a secret that they're hiding or for the most part most people are a part of whatever organization it is that is keeping the human race in line they he he mentions the oppressive nature of all that like the billboards and everything in only the fourth paragraph really yeah it says uh, uh, at interval the street george the main character in the short story is uh, george nada uh, at at intervals along the street george saw the posters hanging with photographs of the fascinators multiple eyes and various commands printed under them such as work eight hours play eight hours sleep eight hours and marry and reproduce a tv set in the window of a store caught george's eye but he looked away in the nick of time when he didn't look at the fascinator in the screen he could, resist, he could resist the command. Stay tuned to this station. And I, 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 that caught me off guard, too, when, when that credit said that it was based off of a story like that. And I was like, oh. And I'm a, I'm a big reader, so I, I, I definitely need to check that out. Yeah. It's only a six-page PDF. I was able to just find it uh, right wow. on Somebody had posted the full PDF. So you stole it. <laughs> well, uh, here's the thing. I, I, I put on my sunglasses a long time ago, okay? They wouldn't want me to steal the studio. That's them talking. They live, okay? Uh, <laughs> but I'll say this. I will, just like diving into the characters, I really like, like at first I was kind of confused because I've never seen, there are not a lot of movies that just do this, but that opening scene and then when he, when uh, Roddy Piper and Keith David become friends, it's what I like to call in movies the unspoken companionship, where just simply by being in the same mediocre to subpar conditions allowed them to grow close in a way where it's not like, oh, these guys are like buddies, they hang out. No, it's just kind of like a, like, this is someone who knows my experience because it's a shared experience. And so, therefore, we're joined because of that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's, that's really important in this movie in particular. And I, I know we're going to get into the more political and cultural uh, narrative in a little bit. But I think that's actually really important about They Live because the poor or, you know, downtrodden or however you want to look at it kind of have to band together because, you know, you only get a job because you know somebody. And these these are blue-collar, you know, down-on-their-luck people in a world that they've established already is, is you know, just this, this uh, world that's falling apart, rising unemployment, all that jazz. So I think it's, yes, you're absolutely right. It is the, the companionship, like you said, but it's also, I think, kind of representing how, the people that don't have have to stick together as well. Definitely. 
yeah, I think that because <clears throat> just from the first scene, I was like looking at it and I was like kind of like, okay, so this is definitely like this is not quite. It's it's almost modern. It's almost modern, like modern for you know the eighties, but just it's like. I knew that there was going to be something slightly off, especially because this guy who's just, you know, uh, right off the street is like, Hey, could I get a job at this thing? And he's like, yeah, okay. Like usually you wouldn't, even in a construction job, just get a job that, that easily or that quick without there being some sort of maybe, uh, like you said, like if there's something going on with like employment where it's like, Oh, Okay everyone who's in a certain low class can just get a job. Yeah. And it's also, you know, a lot more the way the world used to be more than the way it is now as well, because, you know, you didn't have cell phones, you didn't have the internet, you didn't have those things. There was nowhere to go online and apply somewhere. You kind of had to just walk up and ask. There was a world, believe it or not, at one point where your parents advice, which I'm sure you've heard and everybody else has too, oh, just knock on doors. And, you know, there was a time when that was literally what you did. You went and talked to people and tried to get a job and just didn't work that way anymore. Right. Like when when I in in the opening scene, when he just walked up and said, you know, hey, you need anyone? I was I thought I was like, yeah, that might work. And I was like, well, no. That that could work because this is you know 1980s time. It's it's different for us now, you know. Yeah, for sure. Diving into now the meat of the movie, the discovery that there are other forces at work here. That I I like the slow the it, not too slow, but the slow build to uh, figuring out what exactly is going on because you really like can't tell because there's this church and there's this guy on the tv and there's there's the uh you know they're they're meeting up here and they have the 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 fake uh, reels going and uh you you kind of think they're up to something at first but then you realize that they're trying to figure out something else and uh i like that we we are put in sort of the shoes of the main character and we're, we're figuring out this stuff naturally like, like he does. Yeah. In fact, there's a, uh, a nice little thing that goes on for the, mainly the first act of the movie is rather than being a main character who thinks there's something afoot, he, he's just like kind of another citizen, another member of day-to-day society. In fact, he tells Keith David's character, he's like, hey, you know, you got to have faith because I think that things are going places and people can move up. You just got to have faith in America. Stuff like that. Right, right. I remember that. Yeah. I think that was a, I think that was a nice choice because they could have easily been like, oh, something's going on. But no, they didn't, they didn't take the bait on that. And, he, and Keith David, even later on, he, he's, he, just, he wants no part of what might be happening. Yeah. You know, they kind of go reverse. Like not like like not in the sense of Keith David knew that there was something else going on. No. Just that whereas now Roddy Piper's character knows like that there's something going on. And he's like, come on, I could save you. He's like, you know what? No. I wanna I may complain, but I, I want things to stay exactly as mundane as they always are. Yeah, and I, I right. think it I think, too, when you're in that situation and when you're used to to being at the bottom of the totem pole, so to speak, you don't I mean, realistically, does it really matter if there are aliens? Because you're screwed either way. I mean, you're you're going to be paycheck to paycheck. You're going to be out there doing your blue collar job and coming home and you're going to live in a, in a homeless camp. You know, does it matter if it's an alien or if it's just some CEO? Exactly. At a certain point, you, no matter who is pulling the strings behind the scenes, you still have to get up and go to work. Yeah. That's a great point. In fact, I was, was, oh no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say that the, the fact of the entire planet being controlled by these beings is far too large for uh, one or even a group of people to take on. 
Well, of course they do. It'd be a shitty movie if they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. They, oh, they're aliens. <laughs> All right, well, let's go do some construction. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, though, yeah. One thing that I think is uh, kind of interesting that you really only think about it later on is that out of any other, think about any other alien and movie in all of those movies the country is in danger because they're gonna blow up the planet stuff like that this is the and one it's the aliens coming to us yeah this is the one movie where aliens are here and theoretically yes there is danger but is there really danger like this is the same all all they're doing is making it just as mundane life would normally be but everyone is just that much poorer cuz there are still people who are like financially well set off in this movie and there right. are but for the most part like anyone who's like middle to lower class and doesn't work for the cable company they're pretty much like homeless camp stuff like that the real The real sort of objective with the aliens here is kind of unclear, which almost makes you question like, okay, so what if there are people who have been able to see the aliens, but because life isn't that much different than how either A, the world or the country, however, would end up being anyway, or it's just not that different from how it would have been then. And yeah. and I, the the way, because presumably they've been here for a long time for That's everything true. to go as smoothly as it has been. As, as far as the intentions of the the, the creatures, it, it, you know, they just snuck on and they're living here and they, they're pretending to be us and they just want to... I think they talked about it in the movie. They're, they're, they're living off our planet too. I think at a certain point, though, and I think that's kind of the point that Carpenter's trying to make is that you're right. They're not trying to blow things up or, you know, do the Independence Day being like locust and taking all of our natural resources. But only you can only really make that argument from the way that we usually think of alien invasions, because realistically, um, as as a planet, like as a whole overall, they really are doing the same thing. They really are a danger because the resource that they're exploiting is the workforce. The resource that they're exploiting isn't the gas or the oil or the trees or whatever. It's the people. So yes, there are some people of course working with them and there are some people that are making a deal with the devil, so to speak, and, and kind of piggybacking off of, of their exploitation of the worker. But are they going to go through the streets and kill everybody? No, but only because they know that they can continue to exploit because of all of the brainwashing that's going on behind the scenes. It's kind of a question of, is it worse for someone to shoot you or is it worse for someone to steal everything from you? That's a good right. point. I didn't even think of that. I mean, at a certain point, you, you know, you have to say, I mean, I would rather someone just come in and blow my head off than someone to take all of my work for all of my life and just keep me pigeonholed somewhere and do it on purpose. Only do it so that I have to stay down so that they can raise up. There, It's not a matter of, you know, the societal pecking order and they have more skills or more education or more whatever than I do. It's, it's a matter of they are purposely exploiting me so that all of my labor and all of my intentions and my intelligence and everything else just goes into lining their pockets. I mean, I'd much rather somebody just kill me. What I really like about John Carpenter's movies and sort of the same thing with Stanley Kubrick, Kubrick's movies is, uh, you, you, the audience feels like we, we are thrown into this, to this point in time and this point in time and where this major thing has happened and we're we're just observing it and we're seeing how these people react and what they do like uh in the thing and and uh and so and so on and i i just i really like that feeling and i i got that heavily with this movie 
with with especially how meta it is. From an outright like comparing to modern day, Rev, I know that you said you you had a perfect connection that you wanted to share of how that could connect to modern day society. I don't remember what I said. <laughs> uh, I I think you know one of the things that I that I read and in, in kind of preparation for this, and and I'm a huge John Carpenter fan anyway, but. One of the things that I, I read in this is that he said it's not a science fiction movie, it's a documentary. And I, I thought that was really kind of profound because I think that, you know, we watch this movie, it's, what'd you say, 88? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's 1988, which is, God, what, 35 years ago now. Um, and it's worse today than it was then. You know, we look at these changes that have been made and, and you know, I'm, I'm only talking about America, but I, th- I think you could extrapolate it across the world as well. You know, the rich have more money than they ever have and not just more money, but a higher percentage of the money than they've ever had. You know, wages have stayed the same. You know, we, we just raised the minimum wage in some places. And if you convert that in today's dollars compared to what it was in 1950 we're making 50 percent less you know we're looking at a situation now where you know we had this this covid thing and and everybody you know doing work from home and a lot of people quitting their jobs and a lot of the financial burden you know things like rent and evictions and student loans and all these things that they held and for the first time you saw workers kind of look at this and be like wait a second this fucking sucks like you know this right. isn't job i'm not just going to work and paying these people are are stealing from me you know to the point where yes you know hey i'm all for capitalism i, I you know i'm not in any way somebody that's going to come on the fa- on the side of Stalin and Mao or anything like that. But I am going to say that, you know, it's not fair that the workers provide at least 90 to 95% of the, the, the produce of a company and they take home 5% of the, of, of the profit. That's just absurd. And the fact that it's so much worse now than it was in 1988 shows that Carpenter was absolutely right. This isn't science fiction. This isn't horror. This isn't comedy. This is a fucking documentary. And we didn't, and we didn't learn. That's insane. That's a great point. That's not only is that a great point, but you're absolutely right. As far as being true to life, what, what would probably be a great example, just that I know people talk about it a lot anyway, there are a lot of, there are a lot of uh, people have a lot of problems with Amazon, biggest company in the world, uh, run by a billionaire, which would have been unheard yeah. of. I were they? I don't even know when. When was the first year that we had a billionaire? Oh, we've had billionaires for a while. I mean, you had the Rockefellers and shit in the early 1900s, but it was like 10 billion. It wasn't like 990 billion. Yeah. It's a very different. Now, granted, obviously, ten billion dollars was a hell of a lot of money in the early nineteen hundreds, but it wasn't anything like it is now. Absolutely, you know, the people making half of what I currently make were able to buy a house, and you just can't do that anymore. Definitely not. Yeah, but um, yeah, a company a company like Amazon would be a great example mm-hmm. because, like, I know a lot of a lot of people's problems now come from the fact that you know you'll hear about like Amazon workers. And they're like, yeah, you know, like the company gives us like this, like, like I've, I've heard their workers are paid pretty well. They've got like a good sign on bonus and they get paid well hourly. They have a good wage there, but it's not a livable wage because that's just how our economy has just made itself into. But what becomes an issue with that is, okay, well, we know this is a problem and the person who runs your company has just money on money, they can improve the conditions, and they don't, because why would you? Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, Amazon, a lot of times they talk about things like bathroom breaks. Like, you don't get a bathroom break except for, like, every eight hours or ten hours or something like that. And it's just one of those things. You're absolutely right. Like, there's a certain level nowadays that I think wasn't even present when Carpenter made this movie that there's a certain level of cruelty to it, too. 
it ceased to become just a, well, this is what happens because we need your labor and, and we're going to make the profits. And it starts to become a, well, we'll show you that we're the ones in charge. And yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty sad. What billionaire would use some of his billions to try and benefit something else? It's about being top dog, you know, and, and you know, all the companies, they're, they're, they're racing to be the, the best, you know, even fast food chains, you know? Yeah, you're right. I, I like to, to call it, I read somewhere about in-stage capitalism, and it's basically talking about how when you get to the point where you owe your uh, stockholders and, and the people who, uh, you know, are, are the direct recipients of the profits of the company, when you owe those people increasing returns every year and you have a legal obligation to do whatever you can do to earn them more money, at a certain point, there's no more money. At a certain point, you can't continue to grow something when there's no more growth to be had. I mean, we only have a certain amount of money that we can spend. And the more you grow it, the more that you make the people that don't own the company poorer, the less they're able to buy, the less your profits can increase. So at certain, at a some point, it's going to have to come to a wall. I don't know when that point is, and I hope I don't see it, but at some point, <laughs> you, you can't. You can't get blood out of a turnip if you've only got so much money. There's only so much you can do. And I think that Carpenter in this movie kind of showed us that as much, yes, it was 1988, but I think it was also kind of a look at the future to a certain extent too, because we've had some bad times, but you know, when we open this movie and we see these desperate people in these camps, I mean, these aren't what you typically think of as homeless people today. These are just regular blue collar workers that can't even afford an apartment. They have to live in these camps that look like something that you would think the absolute most destitute people would live in. Right. But they were just the, the regular lower, lower class people. Exactly. They were just not rich. That's it. And what, what I really liked about, um, sort of like we we are under this you know because we're not rich we're under the perspective of oh being rich is like a like a fantasy it's it's it seems impossible and you know there are billionaires as we talked about out there but you know thinking about being a billionaire it's 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 like it's like wishing dragons to come true and and the concept of someone having that much money is alien to us and I like how pretty much all of the wealthy people are the are the aliens and fantasies that we n- sort of naturally have when we think about those kind of things. I agree. And I actually, you know, you were talking earlier about Keith David, um, you know, working with, with Piper to get him a job. I think it, it's really telling that, you know, near the end of the movie, we find out that the, the rich people are all on board the alien train and they're part of this takeover attempt because they're reaping the monetary benefits from it. Meanwhile, Keith David is helping Roddy Piper get a job and he's met him for 30 seconds. I think it's it's kind of a, it's a clear delineation between the rich and the poor. You know, why are you rich? Because you're willing to stomp everybody else to get money. Why are you, you know, whereas the other people are not willing to do that and that's why they're poor because they work together and they, you know, they love other people. They care about other people. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, I think that, I think that just that um, camaraderie within that, like what I was saying earlier about their workforce sort of working together and having that, and forgive my turn of phrase, I'm going to do right here, union with each other. I just think that that it's just it works so well to show the sociology within communities like those that have been formed due to that shared economic class that everyone has now been put in. Yeah, I agree. In fact, even the reason why I use the word union is because that one of the first things that uh, Roddy Piper is told as he's asking for the job in the first place, he's like, Hey, can I get a job here? 
And he's like, most of my guys are union. And they show the group of guys like laughing, joking around. Or, well, all right, not like joking around, but they're all like, yeah, like they're all crowded around each other, kind of like, yeah, like banded together. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. On a much more positive note, we got to talk about the fight scene. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone yes. listening or watching whenever this podcast comes out, I recommend just for the sake, not, not even, don't worry, it's not a spoiler. Just go watch the just the fight scene from They Live and come back and listen to what we're going to say. Because this is just too good. And and once I found out that Roddy Piper was a wrestler, I was like, okay, because this was just too good. Like, th- this was a fully core. Like, I don't even know if at some point they started improvising with themselves. Just like putting a hit here and a hit here, because there are a couple times where it's like, was that like, like the third or fourth hit in? I'm like, all right, what's going on? Because <laughs> it, it didn't even get to the point where it was comedic. Don't get me wrong; it wasn't like it, it wasn't like, oh, this is so like silly, but it was just like a lot of fighting. But it was great. Every hit is just so perfectly set up. And even by yeah. the end of it, when they're just all like battered and bloodied with the sunglasses on, and then Roddy Piper's face is like all swollen on the side and everything, like that was just great. I I really, uh, I really thought that it it was great. It's a great fight scene because it takes place in one alleyway, and it's still really entertaining to watch. Definitely. Like the, the, the whole thing throughout, it's it's a creative fight scene that doesn't involve them, you know, flying or like it's not a chase. They're not they're not doing any any flips or any you know they're not climbing walls and at scaling buildings. They're in one alleyway, and they're both fighting and then tricking each other and fighting again. And and this fight scene, it's like okay, here's the fight scene. And uh, okay, it's fine now. They're gonna make up, and oh no, they you know they're going again. And it there was like five places where it, it could have ended. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why did five put on the, the glasses? At that point, I regardless of how I felt about the person, the person could be my genuine enemy. Because uh, I mean, wow, <laughs> the beat down <laughs> he took just to not put on glasses. Then the beatdown he took to get somebody else to put on glasses. Yeah, I mean. yeah. <laughs> and I agree with you. It, it is an interesting, interesting uh, take on the fight too, because it isn't like John Wick. You know, you don't have like pencils and like swords and things like that. You're literally just two dudes in an alleyway beating the shit out of each other. Yeah, yeah. It was almost like it almost made it seem because I know there 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 are like three three moves. Where you can tell that it's like, ah, because they, they move to a different camera angle. There are three, like, full-on wrestling moves that that Roddy Piper does to Keith David. But, regardless of all that, I will say, the fight, the, the fact that the fight lasts so long, and the fact that neither of them just get like, oh, here's, like, one big punch, and then he's knocked out, or something like that, made it look, and this is why I say that it didn't wrap around to being, like, funny in a bad way it didn't like it didn't it didn't wrap around to being funny in a bad way it it was all very well put together because it made it feel real realistically like because in movies it would it would you're right it would be like a couple punches here you know a chest shot there maybe somebody gets a bloody nose black guy and then it would end that's how it goes in movies in real life though a fight like between two relatively like in shape guys who have been like working and everything who like they don't like each other by that point or at least Keith David's character doesn't would fight for that long realistically maybe even longer yeah you just keep hitting the other guy till he doesn't get up yeah yeah well, I'd read yeah, somewhere too really I, I agree with you I'd read somewhere too that they had actually practiced that fight in uh, Carpenter's backyard which is kind of funny uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine his neighbors in Hollywood or whatever looking at the back and being like, "What the 
what the fuck is going on? Yeah. There's like a wrestling match in Johnny's backyard. <laughs> I tell you though, made for some great entertainment. I love that. Uh but yeah, anyway, uh I kinda wanna talk about the, the ending. But well, okay. I, I meant me as well. I was gonna say I was gonna like hold back, but then I I realized most episodes we've done here on Creepy Peepers will go through every scene like shot by shot from the movie. So I may as well just say no. Uh, spoiler, if you want spoiler free, I'll warn the listener right now. If you want spoiler free, uh, feel free to pause it now. Um, but it's yeah, a 35-year-old so, movie. You can get over it. That is true. Yeah, I was going to say. It's like when people say, like, oh, why just spoil the sixth sense? I didn't know he was dead. I don't know. But, <laughs> yeah, what the I'll hell, say, man? I haven't seen that one yet. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, no, that's not, that's, that's not bad. Uh, but I will say <laughs> the ending it, w- here's the thing. This movie will either get the biggest rise out of you or like not that big of a rise out of you. Again, not in a bad way. When we find out that oh, I'm blanking on the, the what what's the um the lady who works for for the cable company is it Molly? Oh, hang on, I gotta I gotta find her name now because I'm I'm gonna end up butchering my explanation if I get her name wrong too many times in this. Um, shoot. yeah, there we go. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say though, when we get when we find out that her character is double crossing. Um, Roddy Piper, I yeah. am that surprised, but again, not in a bad way because I was surprised. Holly, not Molly, Holly, yeah, Holly Thompson. When we find out that Holly is double crossing Roddy Piper, I, I wasn't too surprised, but like. Wow, what an escalation. Because right. yeah, I know. They like the whole thing with the like they're shooting a bunch of aliens, which for all she knows could be real people. But when she pulls Keith David around and they don't show it surprisingly. It's a rated R movie. They showed a bunch of blood earlier, but they won't show him get shot. I don't know. They like cut away. They do like a gunshot like flash frame and then cut away to the next scene. But when she shoots him, I was like, wow, that's what an escalation. But I could tell the movie was about to be over. So I'm like, oh, this can't end well. If they, if they killed him off so like nonchalant, then I have a feeling everyone's going to die or like something. <laughs> right. But <clears throat> yeah. So then she, she's like, hey, you know, don't do it. And he does it anyway. She shoots her. Uh, then he gets. Which shot. pretty great. I was sitting. I was sitting and watching it, and I was just in my head. I was going shooter. Fair enough. Like just yeah, do it. I wouldn't do. I didn't want him. I was afraid it was going to end with him giving in, and then like, you know, he would die, and that'd be that, and everything would have been for nothing because of this one character who we thought was good, but not really, and then, but. You know, I then I remembered this is a this is a eighties John Carpenter flick and please shooter and he did. <laughs> and please shooter. Yeah. <laughs> well and, and I think too, I think having the choice of having her be bad, I, I actually was a little bit surprised because I, I didn't really I didn't know anything about the ending. I didn't know, you know, what was gonna happen. Um I knew the basics but um and, and I was pretty surprised that she ended up working with them, but really you shouldn't be because the whole point of the movie is that class separation between the rich and the poor. And she was doing well, you know, she was living in that high rise that she threw him out the damn window of. Yeah. Um, oh, we didn't talk about that. Yeah, that, yeah, was that was oh, yeah. I was just about oh, to bring that up. That was probably like, that was so unexpected. Because yeah, you, 
that had me thinking, okay, you know, he, this is an unconventional way for two companions to meet, but now she's going to join the group and be a part of the, the rebel Alliance. And when she pulled that, I was like, wow. But the great thing about that too, I, I agree with you. The great thing about that too, was that you had no reason to believe at that point in the movie that she was doing that because she was working with the aliens. There was no reason to believe that because she had a strange dude that pulled a gun on her and basically kidnapped her. I would have done the same thing. So it's, it's not a, you don't have reason to believe at that point that she's doing that because she's going to be a bad guy at the end. Rather, she's just a woman who's terrified because this guy's holding her at gunpoint while talking about aliens. Yeah, that's, you're absolutely right. I will say this though, thinking back, I bet you that's why I wasn't, um, why I wasn't surprised that she, that she double crossed him. Cause here's the thing. It's one thing to have like, Oh, you know, like here's, here's these characters. And it's like, Oh, you know, I don't know if they're going to be partners by the end, but they could be partners. I gotta say though, their meat isn't great. Like it, it's not, it, it didn't fool me. I don't know if it was supposed to, I'm not going to claim that it was supposed to. And I'm like, Oh, I'm so smart for for having not fallen for it but all i'm gonna say is when they meet there's like just just during these few scenes i gotta be 100 honest i love roddy piper's role in this there's a couple scenes where he's he's getting a little too big for his britches like he's a little overconfident that so like that things are go are gonna go well for him, and I only mean that because during this like little short section, like right before he gets thrown out the window, like I don't know if that brought him back to reality or whatever, but he, dude, he's heroic. Yeah, like, beforehand, does he really think he's gonna take on all those aliens with just him, Holly, and uh, Keith David's character. Because even if he were to round up the whole construction site and whoever in the city, it before they reveal that everyone's like aliens and stuff like that, they're like I I, I have no idea what his plan would have been from there. But but yeah, when, like when she throws him out of the window, I'm like, all right, this is not gonna work. Yet. That's not. It's one thing because again, Keith David and Roddy Piper beat each other up for minutes, and then later on they're like, hey, we're partners. That's one thing. You can't throw him out of a window, have him tumble down a cliff and hide from police, and then be like, I'm so sorry. I didn't know that what I... That's not how you make friends. <laughs> exactly. Like, Right. Well, yeah. It, you know, I think oh, that's sorry. one of the interesting things, too, about the ending of the movie, especially with her. You know, I think that at some point you kind of get the impression that they're going to take that little teleporter thing and try to go to the alien planet and and mess stuff up for them there. But it was interesting that they chose to terminate her character so quickly and suddenly at the end of the movie and then show that really the only thing that he had to do all along was just take people's glasses off you know just take their blinders off and show them what was going on he didn't have to like destroy the alien planet or anything like super dramatic like that he literally just had to make people see and that was i thought it was interesting that he was able to do that while dealing with her betrayal that maybe you're right. Maybe we should have seen coming, but I certainly didn't. Right. Cause, cause I feel like, especially me, like I didn't see any of the betrayal coming because I'm used to so many other eighties movies of, Oh, here's the damsel, you know, here, here's the love interest for our hero character. And now she's going to join the team and they're going to kiss at the end, but no, she gets shot at the end by the guy. She's a bitch. Was a exactly. Girl. She just killed Keith Davidson. <laughs> Keith Davidson. This That's man true. survived yeah. the thing and he didn't survive this woman. He, I, they, <laughs> they killed him off. So like that, I was like, wow, like they just, cause it it's not bold. even like he, 
<clears throat> it's not even like it's kind of like the scene. Actually, fair enough. <laughs> it's kind of like a scene where another peanut gallery black guy character working with some big corporation. It's like the scene from Terminator when the guy is like at home and he's on the computer, like working on the Skynet stuff. And then at first they're going to kill him. Then they, they're like, get him on his side. They get him on their side. And then the SWAT team comes in and just immediately just blasts him to shreds. Yeah. I especially knew that things are not going to go slightly as I think they are when the entire like group that that has meetings they instantly like their whole wall is blown out and they and so many of those people who I thought oh they're going to be the side characters they just instantly get you know taken out that's true yeah that's true and i will actually say um, this is a little unrelated, but I, I just have to say, I thought it was kind of funny. I I was actually looking, uh, just in case, because I want to know, like, was there any more story to this? I looked up if there was ever, like, uh, a They Live sequel, like, planned or anything. I found an article that said that John Carpenter was planning to make uh, two sequels. One <laughs> called They Laugh and one called They Love. Uh, one being about a comedian <laughs> working with the aliens, and the other about a Alien Finding Love, I soon found out it was on a website which entirely writes comedic articles that are not true at all. So that's uh, that's well, I'll take the loss on that one. I would have believed it too. Yeah. I would have believed it too. You don't want some like they live alien porn? Oh, I, I would have <laughs> definitely wanted they laugh and they love. That would have been hilarious. And because the article had me. Got some of that at the end. They said they were going to make they were going to make uh he said that John Carpenter is quoted as saying, this wouldn't have been possible without Amazon Studios. Amazon Studios released the Hotel Transylvania movie that didn't have Adam Sandler in it. I was like, what, what can't they make? Coming to America with the number two in the middle of the title? They would have absolutely jumped on They Laugh and They Love. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'd watch it. If it's a John Carpenter movie, I'd watch it. I'd, I'd... Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, anyway, uh, look, just looking at, uh, before we finish up here, before we wrap up a couple, um, uh, trivia pieces here that I found on, uh, IMDB, the communicators used by the guards near the end is also the PKE meter used in Ghostbusters. Oh, I saw that. I did see that too. I was wondering, I was like, that's the, that's the thing. That's the thing. No, no, that's yeah. the other me, me and Nigel have sort of this Ghostbuster sort of anchor where we just, if we see anything remotely related to Ghostbusters, we notice. Yeah. <laughs> so when I saw that, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> uh, Roddy Piper actually quit the WWF to make this movie. Uh, really? Yep. And the only character given a first and last name is Holly Thompson. That's interesting. Well, that's actually, that's, that's another thing that I wanted to bring up too. Uh, It was an interesting choice to name his character, calling him Nada, Um, you know, referring to, I'm assuming that the workers are basically nothing in this whole equation. Yeah, uh, I thought that was really interesting and a really, especially because they don't really focus too much on it. They don't really call attention to it. But I mean, it's John Carpenter, so everything means something. You know, it's it's uh, your comparison earlier to Kubrick was 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 a good one because he's a guy who doesn't just do these things lightly. If he's going to choose a character's name like that, it's going to mean something. And calling right. him Nada and not really focusing on the first name. So the only thing they do basically throughout this this movie is call this guy nothing. I thought it was an interesting interesting way to handle it. Yeah, it's like it's like looking down in and you know, like, these people and I don't know any of their names, but let's see how they handle this realization about their world, you know. One last and that uh, adds that adds to the theme that that these people, you know, they they nothing because they do defeat the 
well, they expose them rather. They don't really defeat them and wipe them out. But it it it's got that theme of these are ordinary people. They don't have any special abilities, and they're nameless faces that have done a good deed for humanity. Plus, no matter how powerless they may be in reality, there's more of them than there are of the bad guys. So the only right. thing preventing the poor and the, the downtrodden, so to speak, from stopping this is just being able to see what's going on. It's it's that whole concept of, of uh, you know, being brainwashed and having the subliminal messages and all of those things. If you can see behind the curtain, so to speak, then it doesn't, you don't have to have power because you have number. On an episode of Monster Vision, actually, uh, Roddy Piper mentioned that John Carpenter had wanted him to discuss the film's political subtext while doing promotions for the film. However, due to it being in the United States, Piper felt that it wasn't his place to discuss American politics. He also noted that he had rather liked President Reagan and thus didn't really agree with the film's politics. Hmm. That's interesting. The main star of the movie doesn't even... Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I think, Rev, you mentioned that um, the, the budget was used a lot of the opening scene. You're right. Yes. It says it cost 12000 to have the train roll by for the opening shot, but a technical error required them to do it a second time. Um, and then for the fighting scene, it says that uh, yeah, they re- they rehearsed the fight in Carpenter's backyard for over two months. Carpenter told Piper during production that he wanted to include a suplex in the fight, to which Piper replied, which one, before attempting to demonstrate a few on the director himself. Carpenter managed to avoid falling victim to those, but he did consent to letting Piper subject, subject him to a sleeper hold and vouches for its authenticity. <laughs> wow. Shepard Ferry, uh, who made the Obey uh, logos, Credits this film to his inspiration for that uh, motif that he uses, that he famously uh, popularized. Well, it makes sense. And, and, you know, I think it's, you always have to kind of take movies like this, movies with this kind of theme with a grain of salt, because same with the Obey guy, you know. Oh, you're all such sheep. You all just do subliminal messages. Here, buy a bunch of t-shirts with this this slogan that I created, you know, so you got somebody like John Carpenter who's preaching out against social inequality and, and, you know, the dangers of capitalism, but he doesn't mind people buying tickets to see his movie. So it's a, it's a little, it's a, you got to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt, even though the point's pretty, pretty accurate. Yeah. Well, Nigel, uh, due to a time crunch, you want to give the, the skull ratings? Absolutely. Yes. Rev, just to run this by you, every time we review a movie, me and Dane do what we call a skull rating. Basically, you rate the movie on how much you like it on a skull rating out of 10. 10 being you loved it, absolutely best movie you've seen. One being, eh, this could honestly be sent back to the grave. So <laughs> I'll leave this up to you. Uh, you. If you'd like to kick us off with the skull rating, what would you rate this movie? Me? Yep. Oh, shoot. Um, So I thought that the movie was a little bit cheesier than it needed to be. Um, I think that it could have been much more effective with somebody other than Piper as the star. And I know that's a sacrilege and I love John Carpenter. Please don't send me hate mail. But (laughs) um, I think that it could have been more effective. I think it is an incredibly important message and I think it could have been effective with, if he had just kept uh, the, what's the guy's name from the thing? I'm completely blanking. Keith David. Uh, No, no, the, uh, the star. Oh. um, That would be Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell, thank you. If he had just kept Kurt Russell, I think it probably could have been a lot better of a movie. So I would give it, I'm going to say six as a movie, but like nine for importance. I think this is something everybody should see. Absolutely. I agree. 
In fact, I yeah, would I give it. Oh, no, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to give it an eight just for the reasons you said where I combined the two reasons. That's fair. I, I would, I would have to agree with both of you. I would say, honestly, yeah, probably a six. Um, but yeah, as far as importance, like, don't get me wrong. I think that if you were doing like a, uh, uh, like a political science class, this would be a great movie to show just as like, just for uh, its themes. But as far as like the movie itself, I will admit, yeah, I, again, Roddy Piper's performance w- wasn't bad. It just wasn't bad. But there were a few times where I think, I don't know if he was kind of going back to his wrestling persona a bit, but he under pressure he didn't seem like a hero. He kind of just seemed like a, I only know what's going on. And so I'm just going to kind of do whatever I want. Uh, Cause I'll be honest. The fact that he's lived his life this far, just being under the same regime as everyone else, the scene where he just so casually walks into a bank, holding a gun <laughs> just out. I'm like, there's no way. Like even if you even if you thought like even even though he's uncovered all these secrets, you still just don't like. Wouldn't you want to at least fly under the radar for a little bit after finding this out? Right, you're not gonna take on all these guys by yourself. That's it. That's all. That is. The I shifting tones I thought was pretty. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and that's what I was gonna say. Is it, it's it's difficult because I feel like. As a genre, horror is all about movies like this. Cheesy, ridiculous, over-the-top, hammy acting, chewing the scenery, all of those things. And he fits really well as an actor into the genre itself. But the movie, in my opinion, should have been more serious. I think it was such an important message and such and such a well thought out and and unique an intriguing message that putting it into what was more of a typical B horror movie type movie than John Carpenter would usually make. I mean, this is the guy who made Halloween and the thing, you know, and then he's going to make they live, which is just over the top and ridiculous. So there's nothing wrong with it, certainly, but at the same time, it's, it's difficult to understand why he would choose such a, crazy and like wrestling themed actor in in a role that really could have been super important. Yeah. Hey, uh, fellas, I'm going to have to leave a little early. Um, no problem. Yeah. I was going to say, was a great time. uh, Rev horror. This is great having you on. Definitely. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thanks so much guys. I appreciate it. And I'm, I'm, available anytime definitely we'll definitely be having you back on rev horror that's your uh we got you on uh the horror revel horror that's t-h-e-h-r you can spell but <laughs> horrorrevolution.com rev horror great to have you on uh where can people find you uh on your social medias once again for the audience i am at rev horror r-e-v horror at um Twitter and Instagram. I'm not super active on Instagram, but I'm pretty active on Twitter. And I, I post new reviews at least three times a week. So, you know, we got a bunch of stuff. Um, I've reached out to Robert England for an interview. I wouldn't count on it, but I'm, I'm still crossing my fingers. But, you know, I've talked to people like Mike Flanagan and uh, Debbie Rashawn and uh, Jacqueline Lovell, who, who is amazing uh, in those old um, uh movies from the 90s and stuff definitely worth looking into kind of all parts of the site so anytime you want to find me hit me up absolutely well once again great to have you on hope to do this again and we will see you next time audience on the creepy peepers podcast
glad we got to do this. And I, especially because you're a, I knew you're a big uh, John Carpenter fan. Yeah, man. I, I'm, I'm just thankful I got the chance to finally watch the movie. I've just put it off for so many years. This has been a Just a Guy Network audio production.